0: Well, good morning. We're not only in a a new morning, we're at a new month, the month of November. Can you believe it? Uh, We're in a new season. We're in a new time, literally. Some of you may have shown up an hour early, haven't figured out yet that we're actually in a new time now with the fall back. Uh, Thankfully, our our mobile devices automatically do that, but you might have to turn some clocks every now and then uh, back to the time that we're in. Uh, but we're at, as a church, also we're in a new season. We're in between lead pastors, and next Sunday night, when we have our church in conference, we'll elect a search committee for our uh, lead pastor search. So um, and that that brings us to to thinking about this period that we're in as a church, we'll we'll call it an interim period. And um, when we think of interim periods, sometimes it's it's fragile. it could it could feel unknown. And so over these next four weeks, what we want to do as a church is reflect on what are the things that God has given us? What are things we can count on? What are gifts and blessings of God that can help us to thrive through any season? All right, so we're going to look at, at four things that help us thrive from now through Thanksgiving, uh, through any season of life, especially seasons that might feel fragile or uncertain. So at Calvary, we're in one of those periods now. We're calling it an interim period. Uh, but the, 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 the invitation, I think, from God is that we not just survive during an interim period, but that we thrive. Um, and, and I think that's the appeal that God has for us as we reflect on these messages over the next four weeks. In your own personal life, how do you not just survive certain things, certain difficult times, but how do we actually thrive through them? Uh, In sports, we we understand this analogy well. To to just try to hang on to a lead, it doesn't usually work, right? How many of you sports fans here who your team has taken a lead and you're just hoping they hang on till the very end? Uh, Those of you who are football fans will understand that uh, there's something called a prevent defense. Any of you familiar with that? And I think some commentators have said, all the prevent defense does is it prevents you from winning because you've taken a passive approach, just trying to hang on instead of continuing to push and to push, to try to thrive and to win. Uh, That's a sports analogy, but I think it's something that for all of us we can think about is what season in life are you in? Are you just trying to, are you just trying to survive? Are you just trying to make it? And, And could it be that not just survival is what God calls you to, but he calls you to thrive? even in the difficult seasons of life. So like I said, during the month of November, we'll look at four gifts, four blessings that God has given us to help us thrive in any season of life. And the one we're going to look at this morning is specifically that God has given us a supporting strength, a supporting strength that's offered to us in Christian community. All right, so we're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about what it means to be the body of Christ. (laughs) But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. Uh, do you have any friends? You might stop and think, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, I have maybe a golf buddy or I have, you know, someone I I exchange DMs with or whatever. And, uh, you know, but do, do you have any friends? And maybe let me ask you a little step further. Do you have any close friends? It's like, Oh, David, now you're getting personal. I'm not so sure I want to answer that question, right? Uh, as I thought about this, I, I remembered my very first good friend, his name was Arturo Sepulveda Jr. Uh, my family and I had just come back from Mexico. My parents were missionaries in Mexico. Uh, we moved to El Paso, Texas, where, where I was originally from. And my friend, I called him Art. Other, calls, other people called him Duty. He was 16 years old. And so he was cool because I was 11 and a half. How many of you understand what I mean by that, right? <laughs> now, I wasn't 11 anymore. No way. I wasn't quite 12. I couldn't say that. So I was 11 and a half. And I was trying to get into the youth group the, to, to the, this church that we started attending. And I obviously like like anybody you know, in that preteen to teenage years, I wanted to feel accepted. I wanted to feel known and loved. And Art was 16, and he was part of the youth group. He was one of the leaders. And one day, after he gets to know me a little bit, he just calls me and says, hey, do you like to play basketball? And I'm like, sure, I'll do whatever you know, for friends. And so he picked me up and started taking me to play basketball with other guys. And he and I became fast friends. He was like 6 foot 2, and I was like 4 foot 9 at the time. I don't know, so we were this kind of mismatched pair. Uh, but it didn't matter what we did. We learned to enjoy life together. He was such a good friend. Uh, we lived out in El Paso, which is in the desert. I don't know if you realize, kind of out there in the desert, there's not a whole lot to do. And so, sometime when I was older, we were looking for things to do. And he's like, hey, let's go to this town called Deming, New Mexico. Deming, New Mexico. Like, okay, it's a couple hours away. It's like, Why? what are we going for? He's like, they have duck races like duck races. Yeah, yeah, they have duck races. Uh, Sure, why not? So we got in the car, we went to Deming. Once you see one duck race, you've seen them all, right? So it's like, okay, there they go. That one won. Great. Now what do we do? So we walked around a little bit and then we started driving around the area. We discovered this city of rocks. It was kind of these big rock formations that you can kind of climb on and walk around. And, uh, and, And as the sun was setting low, we took this picture in the city of rocks that you'll see. And I call this picture Soul Brothers, or we called it Soul Brothers, right? Uh, and because it reflected our shadows, but it reflected kind of how we felt. We were brothers. We were, I had grown a little bit more by then. I think I'm also standing on a taller rock. But uh, Art and I were, were Soul Brothers, and this picture uh, lives on my Facebook feed from time to time because six years ago, uh, unfortunately, he, uh, my friend Art got cancer. It was a very aggressive form of cancer, and he passed away, uh, gone way too quickly. But he was there for me through those early difficult turbulent teenage years. And you know, sometimes when we're older, we kind of think of teenagers as having small problems, right? Maybe compared to other problems. But boy, when you're a teenager, and and I'm glad the students are here with us. Shout out to the students. Thanks for being here like you are on the first Sunday of every month um, in worship together. I love that. But you know, when you're 16, the storms of dating relationships, the storms of fitting in, the questions of who am I What am I made for? What am I gonna do with my life? Those are real, aren't they? Those are real storms and they're strong and, and we need people to come around us and help us during those times. And not only was Art there for me, but the key thing is that he opened the door to a wider community in the church that became, for me, a supporting strength for the rest of my life. Having one friend was great, but what, what was even of maximum value was he, let, he introduced me into the youth group. He got me connected. And since then, I've been connected to church in many different ways, not just as a pastor. Uh, and it's been a supporting strength all of my life. The church has been there in my sorrows, like when my father passed away from COVID. The church has been there in my joys, like on my wedding day and on the birth of our children. And, and when we got called as missionaries to go overseas, the church has been there for us. I have personally experienced the strength of Christian community at every major turn in my life, and it's made a huge difference for me. It's been a huge support in my life. I can't imagine where my life would be without the strength of Christian community. I've also witnessed it in others in the way people have cared for each other during funerals or financially challenging times or when people need family or maybe just need a little more family. The church has been there. And historically, what's interesting is when the church first began to take off in the first century, it was, it was an unknown movement. It was a countercultural movement. Uh, a lot of powers and forces were against it. And yet for three centuries, it just flourished in the Roman Empire. And one of the things that Rodney Stark, who's a historian at Waco University, um, in Baylor University, no, whatever it's called there, sorry. Baylor University in Waco, uh, Rodney Stark wrote a book called Cities of God. And he records how when early Christianity really blossomed in the first three centuries, one of the characteristics that stands out was the strength of community. And that, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in them, it fueled the expansion of the church. The community, the Christian community was such something so radically different that people hadn't experienced before. They treated each other like family, even though they weren't family. They served one another. They all brought their gifts together to to accomplish a common mission. And that was remarkable, and the world was amazed. And that helped convert so much of the Roman Empire in the early years. Christian community is life-changing. It's a game changer. And I owe it to my friend Art, who introduced it to me long ago. Do you have such a friend? Uh, A recent Pew Research study, this is one of those groups that does polls around the country, found this. They found that 61% of U.S. adults, 61% said that having close friends is extremely important, right? The highest rating you could give it so that you could have a fulfilling life. Now, just to put it in perspective, when they asked them, well, what other things do you think are really important for you to have a fulfilling life? 23% said marriage. Now that to me is sad because that's a low view of marriage, I think. I think marriage is very important for a fulfilling life, but maybe the key is a healthy marriage, right? Uh, 26% said children. 24% said money. So people didn't even say money is the best thing that you can have to have a fulfilling life. 61% of adults said close friends is one of the most important things to have For a fulfilling life. And yet when asked about their own experience, these same adults said this, and you'll see the results on the chart, 8% of U.S. adults said they have no friends. Now this was a couple months ago, right? 8% of U.S. adults say they have no friends. Now that may not sound like a lot, but in a typical week here at Calvary, we have about a thousand people. That's 80 people who say they have no friends. That's a lot. That's a lot. 7% said they only have one friend, Now, you see that 38% said they have five or more friends, and that's, well, that's encouraging. That's at least one out of three people. But here's the thing, and maybe this won't surprise you, the majority of those people who say they have five or more friends are senior adults. And as you go younger in the age groups, there's less and less people who say genuinely, I have five or more close friends. And why is that? Why do you think that is? It's not like people don't want friendship. It's not like people don't need friendship. Uh, it's not like connection isn't possible, right? Because of, of uh, Instagram and internet and all these different things. Well, last May, a few months ago, the U.S. Surgeon General warned America about an epidemic. And the epidemic was not about COVID. It wasn't about a flu. In May, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory on the epidemic of loneliness. Loneliness. It's interesting, right? When medical professionals start saying loneliness is becoming a serious problem. He found that loneliness in the U.S., said, which found that lacking connection, lacking intimate connection, can increase the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That, that means someone who smokes a lot, who's going to probably die of lung cancer. It's similar You have a similar uh, chance of dying young in life if you don't have significant connection with other human beings. People need friends. Now, for Gen Xers like me, friends brings back a very specific memory. How many of you can relate to that? When you think of friends, you think of those six, right? On that TV show in the late 90s. And it's not only my generation, because I know my daughters have watched this show, like all the seasons. For some reason, this show appeals to humanity all over the world. And this week, we had the tragic news that one of these six friends, Matthew Perry, only 54 years old, uh, passed away. And he had a, a classic Hollywood background. He, uh, he grew up with separated parents, right, going back and forth. He grew up partially in the U.S., partially in Canada. Turns out he went to school in Canada with Justin Trudeau, who's now the prime minister of Canada. Then he moved to Hollywood. He became an aspiring actor, fell into drug and alcohol addiction. Very common story. And yet he says that the reason he fell into it, because he was trying to escape feelings of abandonment. He felt alone alone. So he sought for a way out through fame and fortune and, and friends, he says in a memoir that he wrote not too long ago, he says that friends, the show literally saved my life. He he thought he was going to die without this. And, and that cast became an actual community for him. Friends, the show saved my life. He said, but sadly that show was artificial. That show was temporary. After 10 seasons, friends disbanded and his addictions worsened. Friends was a show about imperfect communities, but it captured the longing and the craving in every human soul that we all have. This longing to know and to be known. To know someone else and to be known by someone else. To belong to a community of friends and fellow sojourners. Uh, Friends kind of captured that for us and expresses that desire that we all have. But wouldn't you know it, we don't have to look to TV shows to find out about this, because the Bible has actually been saying a lot about friendship and community all the way back to the beginning of time, because the Bible speaks to the deepest longings of humanity. It's fascinating to me, the longer I go, the older I get, the more I study God's word, and the more I study what's going on socially around us, is that all these major questions that we're asking out in the world, God has provided some answers, and and I would suggest he's provided the best answers. We just need to get back to looking at what God's word says. And he says a lot about human longing and about for for community and companionship in scripture. Let's just run through a few things here. What does the Bible say about community? Well, the very first man created, Adam, in Genesis 2.18, God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone, right? Now, think about that for a minute everything's perfect. Sin has not entered the world yet. God has Adam in this perfect garden. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So we hear that from the very beginning. We're designed for community. We're designed for companionship. But then you look a little further in Genesis 12, the calling of Abraham, when God begins to, to, to create his plan of restoration for the world, he calls Abraham, but he doesn't send him on a solo mission, right? He calls Abraham and says, through you, I will build a family. Through you, I will build a nation and all peoples of the earth will be blessed. These people that that come through the family of Abraham become the people of Israel. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see the story of Israel. And we see that God, he establishes this community so that he can work in and through the world. Sure, you can think of Old Testament heroes, individuals who did great things, but you can't separate their story from the story of the community. God is constantly trying to use the community of people to show the world what the family of God can look like. And then we fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus, God himself, comes on the scene. And if anybody could be able to do a solo mission, it should be Jesus, right? He's God incarnate, God in the flesh. He can do all things. And yet Jesus himself, one of the first things he does before starting his ministry is he builds a team. He calls disciples to himself. And he starts talking about using language that's, that people are kind of struck by. He starts to say, look, when you follow me and, you, and, and my father, you can be part of the family of God. God calls people into community. Jesus calls people into community from the very beginning. And then we see through the rest of the New Testament, Paul carries out these metaphors in the New Testament church. And we see that the church is this community that God has called, set apart, called to himself so that God could work in and through the world. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, it tells us that God has called all of us from any background. You no longer have to just be a Jew from the descendants of Abraham, but any Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, if you're baptized into Christ, he says, you're part of this family, this community that God is building in the world. And then Peter tells us that we are royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So all throughout the scriptures, we see that God calls us, God invites us, God is doing this work of building community so that we can thrive and so that his purposes could advance in the world. So if that's the case, here's the million-dollar question. Why do people who go to church still experience a profound loneliness? If God has created community, called us into community, always looking to see what he can build into his family. And and if you're attending church on a a regular basis or semi-regular basis, why is it that people who go to church still experience a profound loneliness? Or why is it that people who go to church still experience moral failure? Often because they have spent so much time in isolation and sin got the best of them or got the worst of them. Why do people who go to church still experience a lack of purpose and direction? kind of trying to, trying to understand our identity. Why is that? That we experience that as well if we have this thriving community that we're given to operate within. Why is it that people who go to church have no distinction from the world? Why is it sometimes hard to tell the difference between a Christian and someone who doesn't go to church at all? Again, quoting the U.S. Surgeon General, he says, you can feel lonely even if you have a lot of people around you. Because loneliness is about the quality of your connections. There's an interesting seed of truth there. Loneliness is about the quality of your connections. Put it the other way. Friendship and thriving community is about the quality of your connections. It's not just that you have connections. It's not just that you have a thousand friends. It's not just that you have 10,000 likes and followers. What is the quality of your connections? That will determine the quality of of your thriving life. The Surgeon General, he, he says, it's things like our dramatic change in the pace of life. We, life moves so much faster nowadays. We don't have time to build or we don't make time to build these community friendships. Or it's because we move around for work-related reasons or because of technology. We think we're connected, but it's an artificial connection. So that's what the world is looking at. That's what the world is examining. What does Scripture say to us about this? In light of this question, what can we say? What is God's answer in Scripture regarding all this? We're going to read this morning from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. Uh, I'd like to invite you to do something we don't typically do, but for me, it's a reminder that we're listening to God's Word and we want to honor God's Word. So I'd like to invite you to stand as we read God's Word here from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. May it be the words of the Lord that we hear and nobody else's. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a part of it. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. There's a lot there. (laughs) And in some ways it's simple. It's so simple that it's a little complex. Um, we're going to go through just a few of these verses. Uh, we're not going to break it all down. But I'd like to highlight for us here, perhaps there are some solutions to these questions that I've been asking. That why is it that you, you might be part of a church and you just still feel disconnected? Or why is it that we've lacked some of the, the ability to thrive in our lives? It tells us here that the church community is intended to be like a body, like a human body, right? One entity with many parts. One, because we have one Spirit, we have one Lord, Jesus Christ, and we're baptized into one body. Now, when we talk about the church, we talk about the body. You know, there's there's the church around the world, right? That every believer who follows Jesus is part of the universal church. But then God is has clearly put us in local communities. Uh, it's something we see from the very beginning that God calls people to be part of a local church. So when I talk about church today, I'm going to talk about it means the local community that you're called to commit to, that local family. And so, so here are some things that stand out to me. In verse 15, we see this idea where, where we make excuses to feel disconnected, right? We make excuses to feel disconnected. We might find reasons to feel disconnected. What we see here, in the scripture is we see that, that if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. Again, it seems like a, like a silly argument, but, but follow along here for a moment. Do you ever make excuses or do you ever find reasons to feel disconnected from other believers? I think it's natural for us. We, we sometimes might have felt hurt or felt offended, or maybe we feel misunderstood. And so to protect ourselves, we'll begin to kind of back off and say, well, I don't really fit. I feel disconnected. It might be things like, ah, well, I don't know the Bible enough. Or we might say, well, I, don't grow up, I didn't grow up here and I don't talk about the same things they talk about. Or I'm not from this political party or that political party. Or I, I don't feel like I'm in the right social status. I'm not Anglo. I'm not Hispanic. I'm not Filipino. Whatever our reasons may be, Paul tells us here in verse 15 that we have this natural tendency to kind of disconnect and say, well, well I, I'm not really belonging to that group. And yet Paul says... But just because one body part would say, well, I don't belong to that body part, that doesn't change the reality, right? He says it does not make you any less a part of it. So if you're a Christian, if you've been, and and even more specifically, if you've been baptized or if you've joined this church as a member, then when you feel disconnected doesn't mean that you're not a part of it. Maybe we need to work on that connection, right? What is it that needs to happen? What steps do we need to take to reconnect? And we'll look at that a little bit further here. Uh, But But it doesn't change the reality. You are an essential part of this body. In verse 17, Paul takes another argument where he shows us that we may find reasons to feel undervalued. You know, the eye eye might say, well, I'm not as good as the ear. And I'm not as important as the voice. Or, you know, your left hand might say, well, I'm not as important as a right foot. You know, if you're a soccer player, you're great. You know, the the feet get all the action. My hands are behind my back. You know, you might say, I I feel undervalued. I feel less necessary. Uh, If the whole body were one thing, Paul tells us here, then imagine that. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Picture me up here as just a hand, right? What if I was just a hand? (laughs) Uh, that would not make any sense. I would not be a real full body that's capable of doing everything that our bodies are meant to do. Again, Paul is emphasizing here, every single body part is necessary. We We tend to compare, right? And say, well, that person's great at that and that person's great at that. But you know, God is telling us here, but you have an essential role to play. Every single member is necessary. In verse 18, we see that, that it tells us that body, the body has many diverse parts, and yet each one of it is exactly where God intended it to be. You know, the marvel of science and biology, the more we learn about our human bodies, the more we're just in awe, the more we're blown away at the intricacies of how our body works. You know, we've always known about the major organs, like the heart and how it pumps blood so that our lungs are healthy. And as we breathe in air, the oxygen feeds and fuels the cells and the cells go on to do all the fantastic work that they do. The body, the human body is a marvelous thing. And Paul is telling us here, the local church body, your local church family should is the same way. It's a marvelous entity, intricately designed to do amazing things when it functions healthy and together. Each part has a God-ordained purpose. And listen to that, right? Each part has a God-ordained purpose. God made the hand for certain purposes. God made our legs for certain purposes, right? God made our brains for certain purposes. Each body part didn't get to choose what they wanted to do. God gave it to them. And I think that's true for us, too, that God is giving you things to contribute, roles to play in the family of God and, and the question is, have you discovered that? Are you exercising that? Or are you still wondering kind of what is your part to play? And let me just make a parenthesis here. Could it be that our quest for identity, to understand ourselves fully, maybe that as Christians, we won't completely understand that until we are fully in deep relationship with a local set of believers? Because the, the description here that Paul gives us is that each body part will discover its, its purpose and its function. When it's, when it's expressed within the body, within the church. I'd like to suggest to you two things with this thought, who we are and what we are made for. Could it be that, the, that this scripture helps us to know who we are and what we're made for? First of all, that we are unique individuals. You've heard that already said a thousand different times in a thousand different ways, but I just want you to hear it again. You are a unique individual. And in this context, it means that you are a specific part And you have a role to play because point number two is that you are created to make a necessary contribution. Each one of us is created to make a necessary contribution to another. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think there's a, there's a unity that can be found among people in the church when we understand this, that we are unique individuals and that part of the reason God made us the way he made us is so that we could share it with the body of believers and make this beautiful body make a necessary contribution. And that also means that without your contribution, we're not at our full potential. We're not at our full capacity. I know this may be a little hard to grasp because we live in such individualistic world, right? And yet this is the truth that God has given us, that we're called to be part of a body and that there we can perhaps find our greatest destiny. Uh, Verse 21, let's, let's, let's finish some of this. Uh, In verse 21, we see that we're designed for interdependence. We're not designed to just be dependent on other people. We're not designed to be independent from other people. We're designed for interdependence. And that is something God has given as a gift to the church. And again, that is something that the world is looking for. Let me quote to you another author. Her name is Lydia Denworth. She wrote a book called Friendship, The Evolution of biology, and extraordinary power of life's fundamental bond, friendship. And she's a social scientist, and she writes this. She says, friendship can actually change your cardiovascular system. It can affect your immune system. It can affect how you sleep and your cognitive health. How could this thing that exists entirely outside your body affect whether you're likely to catch a virus? And yet that's exactly what we now know that social connection does. Are you tracking? It's saying that social connection affects your literal body, your literal well-being. We thought of loneliness as this difficult emotion, but just an emotion. And we think of friendship as this lovely thing. But she says this, but it's actually a matter of life and death. Remember what the Surgeon General said. If you don't have friends, if you feel lonely, if you feel isolated, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's a matter of life and death. It could actually affect your body, the level of connectivity with other people. And why, why should we be surprised when for centuries the Bible has been telling us that, right? God's word has been telling us. You're made for connectivity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where you'll find your healthiest, most thriving life. Verse 22 highlights that our body has some weaker parts. And yet those weaker parts are indispensable. And I really hope here that some of you maybe who maybe feel like, yeah, I come to church, but I'm not seen. Nobody knows me. I don't feel like I have anything to contribute. I hope you catch this verse. The weaker parts are indispensable. If you feel weak, if you feel unnoticed, if you feel like, I don't know what I can contribute. God is saying to you this morning, hey, you are indispensable. We can't do this without you. And we need to find a way to highlight that, to connect you. I had an experience a couple of weeks ago when I rode my bike here. I, I don't live too far away. So it was a really pretty morning on a Friday morning. I rode my bike here, did some things, went back home. On my way home, I'm not as swift and agile as I used to be. So as I tried to you know, go onto a sidewalk, I kind of skidded and, you know. I fell. All right. I'm trying to say how to say it. Well, I fell. That's just how to say it. And as I fell, I kind of caught myself and, and I, I noticed, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Nothing's broken. All right. Good. But I noticed I started bleeding. And the three tips of my fingers here were starting to bleed and they had, they had some pretty bad scratches. So for about a week and a half, I had to constantly put bandages on them. And I could not imagine before that happened how much I used my fingertips. I mean, you know, my fingertips, he's like, you think, oh, yeah, that, we could do without that. It's, you know, but try that. Try to put, you know, band-aids on your fingertips and all the things that gets in the way of, you know, putting gel on your hair or like uh, trying to put on your contact. It's a little more difficult that way. Uh, there's so many things that I realize I need my fingertips for, and I didn't have them uh, as readily available. Uh, that's what this reminded me of, that we have weaker parts of our body. We may think that, well, well they're not that important. And yet they're indispensable. Every single part of our body is so essential for our life, for a healthy living. The weaker parts here, it says in verse 22, are indispensable. And then verse 26, Paul tells us this principle that we we suffer together and we are honored together. When When we have hard times and you're part of this kind of a body, you go through the hard times together and you go through the victories together. You celebrate together. You rejoice together. This is what we're called to as a family. This is what we're called to in the family of God called the church. And it's hard to do in a large setting like this where we have three gatherings, right? We have our young adult and Remedy on Tuesday and Wednesday night. We're kind of scattered. But but that's why we have here at Calvary what we call grow groups because grow groups are meant to be, you know, 15, 20, 25 people where you can truly come together and get to that level of knowing and being known uh, that we're talking about here. And then verse 27, the conclusion, Paul just nails it at the end and he says, now you are, are the body of Christ. All of you together are the body of Christ. Now think about what that means. He says, you together, when you come together, when you're operating fully in your gifts, fully in the purpose that God designed you for, when you're participating, serving others, and letting others serve you, you're the body of Christ. That means that we are the presence of Jesus in the world. I remember last week at 11 o'clock, uh, I'm not sure what songs we were singing. I, I love our worship team at 11. They just really take us into the presence of God every week. But whatever we were singing, it made, me, it made me feel in my spirit. I was like, oh Lord Jesus, come, come Lord Jesus. We need you in this world. And then it's as if I kind of got paused there by the Holy Spirit and God said, yes, Jesus is coming one day and it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be great. It's like, but right now, he's like, Jesus is saying, I am here. I am here in the people. Right? We are the people of God. We're we're called the body of Christ. That means we're the literal presence of Jesus in this world. Now that's a little bit like, whoa, that's a lot of responsibility. But at the same time, it's not up to us to fulfill it, right? We just need to surrender and allow ourselves to be part of this body where Jesus is represented in this world. It reminds me of an old friend who uh, who would used to visit me when he was a pastor and I was younger, and he would kind of teach me about a lot of things. And he says, David, I love getting together with you because I know I have Jesus. I know I can pray to Jesus, and I know he's with me. He said, but sometimes I need Jesus with skin and bones. Sometimes I need Jesus with flesh and blood. Sometimes we need somebody who's Jesus' presence to us that we can just hug and be hugged, that we can sit face to face and have a conversation. And this scripture tells us that that is us for one another. We are called to be the presence of Jesus in each other's lives. So earlier I asked, why do people who go to church still experience profound loneliness and moral failure and disconnectedness in life? Could it be that the answer is that how much we will thrive in this life is in direct connection or proportion to how well we are connected with the body of Christ could it be that, that just coming to church every now and then isn't being connected to the body of Christ? Could it be that your most fulfilling, thriving life is going to be found when you really get into that family deep relationship with other believers, where you serve others and allow them to serve you? So Calvary, we are a body. And within our body, we have many smaller bodies that we call grow groups in different uh, ways for us to connect. But what I want you to hear this morning is each one of you belongs. Each one of you is essential. I encourage you to find your place. Do what my friend Art did and join the, 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 the youth group or the adult group or whatever group you can because there you will find that supporting strength of community for the rest of your life. And you will contribute what other people need because you have unique contributions to make. So I want to encourage you to link up settle in. We will need you and you will need us. That's how we thrive together through the interim seasons of life. If you picked up a set of notes, you'll see it on there or you see it here on the, on the screen. Here's a few ways to respond. I want to challenge you just with a few things. One, maybe you need to come to church four weeks in a row. <laughs> now, I, I know that, like I said, this isn't, this isn't that, that ultimate connection, just coming into a large gathering like this, but some of you need to rebuild the habit of just being in church, being with other believers, right? Maybe you need to rebuild that habit. Try by coming four weeks in a row and engaging. Maybe you need to ask a pastor or someone to, how do I connect to a grow group? How do I connect to a young adult group and so on? Maybe you need to activate your skills and talents to serve and volunteer in the church. We need you. Maybe you need to invite, maybe some of you already are well connected. Maybe some of you already have good friendships, good godly friendships, but then look around. You know, if there's 80 out of a thousand who maybe don't have a single friend, maybe you can invite someone to a meal or maybe you can call or visit someone who hasn't been here for some time. But the last way we're gonna respond, and this is something we do every first Sunday of the month, is we're gonna have a time where we observe the Lord's Supper because this is a beautiful picture of us who are individual parts coming together as one. When Jesus broke the bread, he took one bread and broken into many parts. And today, in a sense, we reverse that by saying the many parts come together as we take communion. So I'd like to invite the ushers, if they could please uh, pick up the communion plates. Uh, if you didn't pick one up, a set of elements on your way in, just raise your hand, and the guys coming through will help you uh, to have a set of elements. Just hold your hand up until the guys see you. While we do that, I want to invite you to bow your heads. And just take a moment to reflect and to thank Jesus for who he is and for inviting us to be part of his family, making us part of his body and ask him to forgive you of any sin, anything that's keeping you from participating fully in the body of Christ or anything that's keeping you from having a close relationship with Jesus. Just confess that to him right now. says that on the night that jesus was betrayed on the night that jesus needed community the most he called his disciples together and he had a meal with them he took the bread and he broke it and he said take this and remember every time you do that my body was broken for you let's take the bread. when the supper was finished before Jesus went to face the most difficult thing he would ever face he took the cup and he took the one cup and he shared it with his disciples and he said drink of this it's a new covenant made with you in my blood drink this in remembrance of me let's take the cup Lord Jesus, thank you for this symbol, this remembrance that reminds us that we are all parts of your body and that you are, when you were literally on earth, you sacrificed your body for us. Lord, help us to selfishly serve within the body of Christ. Help us to selfishly love others and contribute to to your church, to your kingdom, following your example for us. And thank you, Lord, that when you needed, when you were about to face your most difficult moment, you brought your community together and you leaned on them and they were a support and a strength to you. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to find that strength that we need with one another. Lord, help us to look for others that we can share this cup with, that we can share covenant with, that we can share relationship with, that need you, that are lonely. Help us to embrace them, help us to see them Help us to let them know that they are known, that they are heard. Lord, thank you that you do this for each one of us. Lord, each one of us is here because you've called us to yourself, you've called us to this place. I pray that whatever decision each one of us needs to make in response to this message, that we would, we would make that decision and follow you in obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.